0: Hey, thanks for being a part of the conversation. Let's do some pod crashing episode number 255 is with Gemma from the podcast the psychology of your 20s. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing so well.
0: I'm doing so well, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I, I got to tell you, I've been talking about you ever since I first found out about you. And the reason being is because you, you've got a podcast here that is not just geared for present day 20 year olds, but it's also for even people like myself who, who reflect back when we were 20 and we, we see a self that we could have changed, but we elected to keep walking instead.
1: Oh my goodness. That's honestly one of the best ways of putting it that I've heard. That's such a compliment. Thank you so much.
0: What what made you go in this direction? Because I mean, I, it, it is such a pivotal time in so many people's lives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you pointed that out, because I think our 20s are this like insanely confusing decade. Yes, There really isn't any, there's no guidebook, right? There's, we are novel baby adults, essentially. And I think The main inspiration was that I'm in my 20s and I was having all of these incredible conversations with my friends about just the things that were happening in our life, you know, confusion around our careers and heartbreak and anxiety around milestones that we were and were not meeting. And I studied psychology and realized that there was so much theory that really explained these experiences and that they were somewhat universal. Um, and that's really what led me to create the show and to share it with people.
0: One of the things that I did is I, I've always believed that I ripped off my 20s because I got married at 18 I was in radio oh, by, wow. by the age of 14 so I, I wanted to get on with my life so but but what happens is is that what you talk about so much on your podcast are the things that I still went through as a married 20 year old guy
1: that's that is amazing to hear that because I think my main demographic is, especially like women in their twenties. Right. And most of them, I would say are single or they're in like the early stages of a relationship. So the fact that you're saying you were married, you were 18 and also that you were a guy is like, it's, I think it really does point to the universality of some of those experiences. And just the general nature of our twenties is this like chaotic Decade of so many life transitions.
0: Well, it's so true because I mean, even even uh, the way that I base things and the way that I, I, I kind of lecture to uh, to students and things at the universities is the fact mm-hmm. that you know you know twenties you know make it through your twenties because when you get to thirty you get you get to go back and mop it up and then your forties are mopping up your thirties and and that's what I love about life <laughs> in general and and that's why I look forward to many more of your podcasts because as you grow into you know in, into different areas you're going to be talking about the thirties and the forties because you're so transparent and you're so caring of real people.
1: Oh my goodness. This is just compliment central. Well, I actually, it's funny that you bring that up. I got a question the other day that was, are you going to do the psychology of your 30s? And it's something that's kind of always at the back of my mind, right? Like, am I going to age out of this podcast or do I just keep going? Because I'm sure when I get to my 30s, there's going to be a whole new world of questions and life experiences and just events that I, I'm going to want to explore. So we never know. Maybe I'll have to keep doing this till we're doing the psychology of your, of your 90s.
0: <laughs> One of the things that, that you talk about on the podcast are the, the psychology of what we go through because our bodies are changing. I know that at 25 mm-hmm. is when I had my biggest change. I, I can't imagine somebody today in this social media generation where photographs, oh my God, I mean, and, and people see you, they talk about you, they judge you. And, and I mean, it's got to be rough on people.
1: Yeah. And it's so interesting that you said 25 was where you had your most like pivotal year, because that's like when our frontal lobe basically clicks into gear, right? Around that age for men a bit earlier for women. But it's absolutely, I think, overwhelming to be not just a 20-year-old, but even a teenager, even a 30-year-old in this whole new digital scape, this whole new internet validation, dopamine driven landscape, where not only is everything you do up for judgment, but everything you do is up for approval and up for validation from people online. And it is, I would say, something that I think the older generation hasn't had to deal with in such an acute manner. And it's definitely changed our psychology and our way of social connection and our emotional and mental lives. I think it's Going to be something we really examine for a lot of generations to come.
0: You talk about those generations, those older generations. Not you know, I mean, we we learned how to deal with it, but we didn't have to deal with the the social media side of it as as they are today. How about this? Because I mean, you you clearly define that that your twenties—that's ten years. Well, in, in you know, if you mm. just turned twenty this year, you've got ten years of AIs headed in your direction.
1: Oh yeah, oh my gosh, exactly. That's actually a, a really big thing I get a lot of questions about. There's this insane career career uncertainty that I think people are really coming to face, right? Mm-hmm. Like is my dream job going to be replaced by a computer? Is my life going to become lacking in purpose, lacking in fulfillment because of this technology that we've actually created? to help ourselves. And I really need to do a whole episode on this, right? Because it's causing this whole new wave of confusion and uncertainty and just general insecurity. It's like, and and then also, you've got to think about like a recession. You know, a lot of us in our 20s lived through the global financial crisis, but we we were kids. Like we saw our parents worrying about it, but this is like, now it's coming at us as we're entering into this like super transformative decade. It feels like there's so many things Kind of aimed at us in some ways.
0: You know, it's, uh, you you talk about self sabotage on an episode, and the thing is, is that mm-hmm. uh, you you see it as self sabotage. I call it career suicide. That people are willing to sacrifice their careers in order to, you know, to to not feel numb. Basically,
1: yeah. And I I think it is this thing of like self sabotage and self destructive tendencies really are rooted in in a couple of things, I think this sense that you don't deserve happiness, but also self-punishment and guilt. And then that other dimension that you mentioned, which is just sheer boredom and the need for novelty and the need for something different. And I see it all the time around me, not just in terms of people's careers, but in terms of their relationships, people who are in these long-term stable partnerships, but... The world and their surroundings become too boring, become too familiar. And we have this urge to just destroy everything. And I think it's really about fighting that urge, right? And understanding what is driving that psychologically.
0: But you know, we, so many people, especially my generation and those just a little bit beyond it, were always trained on that five to 10 year plan. And man, I have argued my Mm -hmm. entire radio career. I do not want to talk to you about my five year plan because I don't know what's going to happen. And then here you are, you're talking about it. Don't do it.
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad that you believe that as well. I did an episode recently on the myth of the five-year plan. And it's part of this series that I've been doing. I did another one on the myth of the nine-to-five, the myth of the dream job. All of these things are these social constructions, right, that that were created in a very different time, a much more traditional, conventional time. Before we saw the internet, before we saw some of these major environmental and economic contextual factors starting to rise and it's not it's no longer suitable for the life that a lot of millennials or even older generations want to live and i get asked like what's your 5 year plan what's your 10 year plan all of the time and my answer changes every single time yep. every single time yep. because why would you want to box yourself in especially not just at any age but at such a young age like you are not The decisions and the things that you wanted at 18, at 25, at 30 are not going to be what you want in the future. They're not going to be what you want at 35, at 40, you know, at any point in the future. I think it's such a ludicrous idea that we need to have everything planned out.
0: But you know, you know what's really hard about this, Jimmy, is the fact that the, uh, when, when, when bosses do do that, they say, I, I need to know your five-year plan. And then I say, we're not going there. Mm-hmm. And then they go, oh, you're just set in your ways. And I mean, you know, corporate mm-hmm. bullying is, is very you know, very real, and, and, but they, they want to know that plan. And it's like, why do you want to, you know, Bruce Lee would never sell his information about being a martial artist. Why should I give you all of my information?
1: And it's this weird thing, right? It seems that our corporate lives and our our jobs have become a lot more intertwined with our personal lives as well. And it it really does baffle me. It's like, why does my entire identity need to be owned by the company that I work for? Why do they need to know what my future, what I want it to look like? And also, I think it's just such, not so much a red herring, but such a such a pointless question to ask someone that because they don't even know. So what not only do you put them in this weird point of feeling like they owe you an explanation for their decisions, but it's also not going to be, I would say, an accurate assessment. So I think you make a really good point there of, why would you sell that information?
0: Are you are you going to do a show on these 20-year-olds that have to go back to work? I mean, come on now, for the past 3 years, even if they were 18 years old when the lockdown happened, they're 21 right now and they have to go back to work inside someone's office.
1: Yeah. Are you talking more about the the switch from like remote working to like in person? Oh
0: yeah. Oh yeah, working? because I mean, yeah, because I mean, it's it's a we, first of all, I, I do both of them, but I'm still more comfortable. I don't want to go anywhere. I want to stay home and I'm sure I'm not the only one and I'm far from 20.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's so interesting. I was talking to one of my friends about it the other day whose office just put in this policy around Them having to to come in every single day, and the most insane thing was that if he decides to work from home, he needs like a permission slip from his manager. And I was saying to him, I was like, "What? Are you four years old? Like, are you are you a child? Like, that's so that's so ludicrous." And I think it's this thing that especially the younger generation is pushing back against this conventional notion of work. And a lot of us got our first jobs, got you know kickstarted our career in a time where remote work was the only option. So I really don't see how businesses can really continue on or attract young or even more seasoned employees by insisting that they come back into an office culture
0: well and, and it's more than that it's not it's not just the the you know the, the remote working it's how many hours i am willing to work mm-hmm. i'm here i'm willing to give you 30 hours you i don't care what you do with the other 10 but you're not going to get 40 hours out of me and and once again i'm not a 20 year old but that's if i were that's the way that i would set up my day we're going to work on my time not your time
1: Yeah, and I honestly think this is such a conversation. You've really pinpointed such like a a rhetoric and a narrative that's really coming coming into play here, which is boundaries around your work-life balance and understanding that you actually get to have a say and make decisions around how much your work infiltrates your personal life. I was working a nine-to-five before I started doing this podcast full-time and we all know a nine-to-five is not a nine-to-five. It's an eight till six, an eight till seven, an eight till eight. Like it's never a nine to five. And I think that was something I became so disillusioned with. And it's why I really focus a lot on the psychology behind our careers and our career anxiety and, and this breakaway from convention a lot on my show.
0: Oh, my God. That's, that's like that. my days of morning show radio where I would have to be, you know, the, the demand was I had to be up at 345, but I wouldn't get to get to oh come goodness. home until 930, 10 o'clock at night.
1: Wow, how did you even manage
0: that? I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. And th- and the thing is, is that I'm a daily writer, and I, I'm a, I fear going into those journals to find out what he was writing during those times.
1: Oh, I love when people journal daily. I also do that. arrow. that's so cool. You have a whole timeline of your life, basically.
0: Thirty years of it, and, and it's and it's one wow. of those, yeah, it's, it's and daily and it's one of those things where it's like you go back and you can learn from it because you know if they mm. say history repeats itself, so does your life. Go back there and figure out how you corrected the situation.
1: Oh absolutely. I totally agree with that. It's also this amazing, I don't know if you've found this, this amazing point of reflection yep. to look back at points where you were so lost when everything seemed to be going wrong and having that realization of like I got through that and I pushed through. I just think that is one of the most valuable things about keeping a journal or writing down what's happening in your life on a daily is being able to have that point of reflection to see how far you've come, but also to learn, like you said, from those
0: memories and those mistakes. How do we get a twenty-year-old to do that? Because I started writing when I was thirty-two, and so I mean, I was, and basically, uh, I was lost, and and I needed to find my way, and and but I wish I would have had that way in my twenties when when I was using a razor blade on my arm, when I was doing stupid stunts and and taking chances mm. that I wasn't supposed to be. I know what twenty-year-olds are thinking because I was once there.
1: Hmm, I think it's I think it's really hard right we've really become detached from some of those more some of those more pure ways of communicating right or pure ways of expressing our thoughts I just think for for me journaling is like this entirely private really beautiful nostalgic (laughs) way of way of putting down my thoughts and I know that probably is like it sounds really weird but when we think about like all the great writers and we think about some of our favorite poets and and screenwriters and people in history they all kept these journals that informed their work and I think romanticizing the practice is a really beautiful way to become consistent in it.
0: Oh my god, you, you talk about that romantic side of it because it is because I'm a dipper. I don't put I don't put anything in my inkwell. All I do is I reach over there with the nib of my writing instrument, I dip it, I come back to the page, I go back back. I dip it. I come back to the page. I, it's, it's because I'm mm. so in love with that old fashioned style of nib writing.
1: Oh my gosh. I want I really want to buy one of those. You've <laughs> got to, you've got to send me a link. I need to, <laughs> I need to get on that way of journaling. I think
0: it'd be so beautiful. Uh, oh, and, and your hands are covered with ink. But the thing about it is you giggle like a child because you, you look at your hands, you go, I wrote today. Oh yeah. I wrote, I yeah. have, I have the proof.
1: What a tangible reminder. Right. And it's like, you've accomplished something. It's also, it's a creative practice, right? Mm -hmm. So much of our days are consumed by things that are quite monotonous and quite tedious and repetitive. And I think we all really deserve and, and need a break from that to express ourselves in a way that really challenges our brain or offers it something different. So I'm so I'm so glad that we got to talk about that. Let's <laughs> let's make this a mission of ours. More people journaling by 2025.
0: Oh, that would be awesome. Speaking of relationships, I have it with the page, but the thing about it is let's talk about human relationships. Ch- is mm. is it challenging in the 20s because you know, we do hear a lot about people being open. Well, still in my heart, and it maybe because I'm because of the I am the age that I am, open relationships to me is still cheating.
1: Yeah, that's so fascinating. I did a whole episode on this. I really want people to listen to it because I think there is such a changing perspective around what monogamy actually offers us. I, I'm not a big fan of open relationships personally, but that's just my opinion. I think jealousy really does come into play, Mm. but it's this, yeah, I know I have to say it, but it is this idea around, okay, what actually makes me happy here? And is it? The traditional way of seeing a relationship or would I be better having that stable partnership and then being able to explore and then being able to kind of go, go out and meet new people? I think it's th- the thing that distinguishes open relationships and cheating is the level of honesty you have with your partner and the level of boundaries and commitment you have around the fact that you are my primary person. This is not cheating because There is honesty and openness around what's going on. But I do get your, I do understand your skepticism. I definitely was skeptical.
0: Only because I think, uh, you know, even back in when when I was a 20 year old, it was always that accusation of, oh, you're cheating on me. Oh, you're cheating on me. It, it was so driven mm-hmm. into our head and heart that the, the thought of something being open was like, I, I, I'm not. I just I just want to have a friendship. I don't want anything more than that. And and I and I swear yeah. I run more into And you know what's really interesting about because I am with so many uh, young adults is the fact that they don't even want a relationship. They just want a friendship.
1: Mm. I think it really points to that human need for connection. Yes. Right. I think this generation is, is a lot more disconnected than previous generations have been. I'm definitely in that stage of my life, right? Where I've there was a point, you know, I'll be I'll be candid here, where I was like, I don't want a relationship. I'm mm-hmm. really doing my <laughs> own thing. Because I had beautiful friends. Mm-hmm. And because I had such deep connections with my family and with what I call in my show and what this term that I love, which is platonic soulmates, uh, stemming from from the Greek philosopher Plato. And now I'm kind of at this this phase in my life where I'm like, dang, it would be nice to be loved that way though. That's
0: that would be good. But I feel like it's on the agenda, that's for sure. How many people suffer from imposter syndrome? Come on, I'm a radio guy. I have I have to sometimes get on this microphone and fake it to make it. So, I mean, do, I mean, I think in the everyday world, people have got to be able to do that as well.
1: Yeah, you want a number? You got, How many
0: people? <laughs> I bet it's 90%.
1: Oh, I think we just need to Google the population of the world.
0: Okay. I think it's
1: around I honestly I think it's close to eight billion. Like I would say every single person, you'd have to be a raging narcissist to not experience imposter syndrome. Because I think it keeps us humble and it keeps us it keeps us growing, right? If it is hard and I'm sure you and I would could talk about this for hours, right? The sense that like we're a fraud and people are going to see through us and people aren't going to like us and that we're not, we're not meant to be here. But I think if you didn't have that level of, of humility about how you go about your life, you would be very difficult for people to be around you. So I think imposter syndrome is, is a daily struggle for people, but it also does come with some of its benefits.
0: I got to ask you a question from podcaster to podcaster. And we discussed this the other night uh, in my class to future broadcasters. I go, what I love about Gemma is that she doesn't have to say her name on her podcast. We just know it's her. Is 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 there a story behind that?
1: Oh my goodness, I didn't even know I did
0: that. You, you don't. You oh. don't. Most people when they get on their podcast, they they say their name right in the very beginning. And and it's like, "Whoa." And 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 in class, we were going through every one of your podcasts, and it's like she still hasn't said her name.
1: Wow. So, I think it's that I think it's the Australian in me. You know this phrase? <laughs> do you know this phrase um "tall poppy syndrome"? No. Yeah, it's this idea that, like, if you stick your neck out too much, you're going to be, you know, if you, you're the flower that grows the tallest, you're going to be the first one caught. And I think that it, it's also not about me, right? Like, yeah, obviously, yeah. It's, it's my stories, it's my life that I share, but it's really about the universality. And it's about the common core experiences. I want it to be a place for everyone. And I also do think that I have... I'm very consistent with what I talk about. I think I only do bonus episodes or different episodes every now and again. But if you come to my show, the thing I want to talk to you about is how to get through your 20s and how to use psychology to apply it. You might hear about my life every now and again, but it's, it's not the main focus. So I think my name doesn't really need to be part of it.
0: Wow. What a beautiful heart you've got. And I can't thank you enough for, for what you're doing with this podcast because it is speaking to every generation.
1: Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm just, I'm so glad we got to talk and we got to meet.
0: Well, please come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you.
1: Arrow, I'm definitely going to do it. This was such a great chat. We had such good radio chemistry
0: here. You be brilliant today, okay?
1: Thank you so much.